well, I wasn't going to do this, but I think I will. <clears throat> Noah and I were talking. Noah's preaching in the chapel tonight, and he said, Derek, I'm thinking about doing an open mic. I said, oh, no, not like karaoke, right? And he said, no, I'm thinking about if anybody wants to just share. Now, listen, when you get a mic, it doesn't mean you get to share a paragraph or two paragraphs. It's like a sentence or two. But maybe something that you learned from Tim, maybe something that you admired about Tim. Uh, we did this as a staff yesterday. And uh, some of you in this room may not know him very well. And so I just thought we'd give an opportunity. And I'm going to start. Where's my buddy Samuel? Samuel, raise your hand for everybody. Samuel just told Chad and I over here. <laughs> Samuel said, it's a sad day. He said, but he's in heaven with Jesus. Isn't that right, Samuel? Because he knew the Lord. And Samuel said, it's because Jesus died, rose from the dead, and he's in heaven. And so we know that's where Tim is, and so that's what Samuel learned from him. So thank you, Samuel. Anybody else want to just share something? Maybe it's a funny story. Maybe it's something you learned from him. Right here. All right, I'm just going to come to you. I'll hold the mic, and you, you take your two sentences. You got it? Oh, I'm just kidding. I, was, uh, I live in Sky Lake, and uh, just about uh, maybe three weeks ago, Tim called, Noble, could I come fish in your backyard? I said, come right ahead. So he and John David came over. And uh, I said, Tim, uh, Josiah just caught a five-pound bass there a couple of days ago. And I told his son, I said, John David, that's one five-pound with your name on it. Tim goes, if Mr. Noble said it to you, John David, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Okay. I, I was just telling somebody. I thought you was going to hold it. I'll hold it. I'll hold it. <laughs> I, I was just telling somebody in my life group. Tim came in every morning, and what really touched me, I didn't know him that well, even though I've been going in for years, he was one of the nicest people. My wife and I said, that guy's a genuine, loving Christian. And what really touched me with him, we took a cruise and came back, and so we went in church. We didn't come back the next week because I had the flu and COVID. Then the third week, we were in Miami. So I got an email from Tim saying, just checking on you, making sure you're okay. If you need anything, let me know. And I was just touched by his uh, genuine concern for me. And so I really, I'm really going to miss him. Amen. Amen. I think that sums him up really well. Anybody else? Fred? Um, yeah, so um, my son Jonah uh, is friends with Tyler Street. And so that makes Mark and I friends well. Uh, the streets live on the same cove as Tim. Um, and I don't know, six years ago or so, we found out that cove, they do every Tuesday night in June, they do kickball for all the neighborhood kids. Um, and John and I always looked forward to it. We always, we always went. And it didn't take you learn long to learn. It wasn't about kickball. Like every new kid that came with their mom or dad, The second or third Tuesday, I think, of Kickball in the Cove, he would share the gospel. And he told me one time, he said, Derek, I use Gatorade and candy bars and stuff to con them into sitting down for a little while, and then I hit them with the gospel. Anybody else? Yeah. Hey, uh, there was an intern that used to work under Tim Shelton in a... The intern was, you know, kind of lazy with his work or whatever. But Tim was 
real proud that the intern was getting along with me and my family. We were close friends. Well, long story short, their intern didn't end up getting the job, but we stayed. We remained friends. We remained in touch. But Tim felt the need to tell us, hey, I'm sorry he didn't get the job. The fact that he even thought he owed us an explanation, like the fact that he even cared so much that there was a small chance that we were offended when he reached out and did that. Like I saw his heart and I was like, wow, like that is an incredible guy because even though he didn't have to take the time to do or think about that, he was always considerate, always concerned, always thinking about other people. And that really resonated with his character to me uh, when he apologized to us about something so minimal. So That's good, he loved people, that's for sure. Maybe one or two more? I know everybody knows that uh, he was well involved with all the adult ministry and with our life groups, but he was also instrumental in bringing Precept back to Bellevue. So there's a lot of ladies that come here on Tuesday nights. My wife is one of the teachers that he got to come and teach Precepts. So a lot of the wives and young ladies are all learning how to study their Bible now, thanks to Tim. Two weeks ago, he approached my daughter because he saw her in her coat that says, social worker, Baptist Hospital. Said, hey, there's a job opening with Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. Weren't y'all affiliated with that at one time? And she said, yeah, sir, we definitely are. He goes, well, why don't you apply for it? They need a social worker. She, tried, she told him Wednesday night, they're offering me the job. And of course, Saturday, she didn't get a chance to thank him. Very intentional, very intentional. All right, I'll tell you three real quick as I'm walking back up here. Um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I've gotten three different calls. Um, all have come from Office of the Pastor. The first one said, um, hey, um, there's a shut-in lady that's a member of Bellevue, and she, she can't get out of her home. And Apparently, for the last few years, Tim has been uh, going and getting her mail and taking it in, into her house, but he also gets her check for her, and he takes it to the bank, and he deposits it for her. And so he has a key to her house, and this lady's calling and asking, who's going to do that now? Nobody knew Tim was doing that. Nobody, nobody had any idea. This is the kind of person he was. So that was Monday. On Tuesday, we get a call from a lady who's in rehab, and she's getting ready to go home soon, and she called and said, hey, Tim's storing some of my stuff in his attic for me, and I was just wondering if I'm going to be able to get that at some point. So Tim had gone to her house, picked up some items, boxed them up, and took them to his attic at his house. And then today I got a call from a guy, and you probably won't remember this, but in 2019 there was a, a, a shooting at Gateway Shopping Spree, wherever that is here in Memphis, and the security guard got shot nine times. I don't know if you all remember seeing that on the news. That guy somehow got connected to Bellevue. Drew Tucker sent him to Tim, and since 2019, Tim calls him every month to check on him, to pray with him, and the guy called me today and said, you know, Tim has been giving me money. I said, really, I can't find any receipts or anything like that. He said, no, no, Tim's been giving me money, not the church. And he said, I just wanted you to know what kind of man he was. Those are three people that have called in the last three days that literally not a soul at this church even knew Tim was doing. I just want to tell you that the man just loved Jesus, and he just loved people. And I want to say to you, and I told Chad, I'm not going to cry because I don't think I have any tears left to cry. 
I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better minister. And I'm a better friend for knowing Tim Shelton. I also want to remind you how sovereign God is. Because when this was planned out for us to walk through the life of David, I put the schedule together like four months ago, and tonight is the story of Jonathan and David and the need for a true friend. Only God could have done that, because next week we're going to talk about David and Bathsheba. Last week, you see what I'm saying? I mean, God knew exactly what we needed tonight. And so I want to talk to you tonight about being a true friend. Before we do that, let me throw this up on the screen Many of you have asked how you can give, how you can help. Listen, don't feel like you have to give anything. Miss Susan told us today that they made a meal train uh, that's food every other day. We originally made it from now till Christmas. It's now extended through May, and every other day is filled up from now till May. And so somebody said, you want me to open more months? I said, go for it. Susan said, we, I'm not going to have to cook for a year. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But this is a way you can give uh, money if you would like to. Don't feel like you have to. They're sharing this around. Um, The money gets sent to Bellevue, but 100% of that is going directly to the Shelton family. Bellevue will keep none of that. So if if that's something you want to do or the Lord leads you to do, then I'd encourage you to do that. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about the need for a true friend. The need for a true friend. Now, I know Typically for men, we're macho. We, we, we don't need anybody. You know, when we're going through something, I don't need to share my feelings. I don't need to share my concerns. I don't want to share my frustrations. I certainly don't want to share my fears or my worry or let my guard down at all that anybody may think I may struggle in an area, but that's exactly what a true friend will do. That true friend is there for you. And I would just like to make a statement to start out that we, and each one of us, as men, we need a really close friend. We need somebody that loves Jesus like we do, that will be there to encourage us, that will be there to hold us accountable, that will be there to push us forward, that will be there to ask us the tough questions, that will be there in the right time and if needed to confront us. We don't like those things, but we need those things. I told a couple of you earlier that almost, almost every morning when I pulled into Bellevue, I pull into the West Lobby and I park going this way and Tim would park going this way. I would get out of my car, you know, drinking, uh, uh, I, I, I like uh, A&W Zero. That's my drink, okay? And I know there's no caffeine and I'm allergic to caffeine so I can't drink it, but I, it feels like I can feel like I can get going in the morning. So I'm getting out drinking my, my A&W Root Beer Zero and Tim's getting out buttoning up his shirt because he just finished running like 17 miles at the Y, you know? Like, well, praise the Lord, you know, Tim, great job, you know, great job. But every morning when we would walk in, he would ask me three things. Every time, it was always the same. First one, what did you read in the Word this morning? He wanted to know. It was accountability. I'm telling you, he asked me, and I would even think early in the morning if I was running behind, if I made, I don't know if I have time to read. Uh Uh-oh, Tim's going to ask me. i got to go read read the Bible. Tim would say, what did you read in the Word? The second thing he would say is, what kind of workouts you have this morning? Did you run? Did you swim? Did you lift weights? What did you do? So he's holding me accountable physically, right? Helping me out, trying to take care of my body because I've had so many problems. And then the third thing he would say is, who, who are you eating lunch with today? He always wanted to know that. Who, who are you having lunch with today? He would get giddy about it. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm having lunch with somebody today. I, I just, I'm so excited about it. And he, just, he couldn't believe that God would allow him to go sit across the table from somebody else and eat lunch and just talk about life. 
That was a man who was a close friend who held me accountable and he encouraged me on a daily basis. I want us to look today in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're gonna jump around a little bit in 18 and 19 and we won't read a ton of scripture. I'm, I'm gonna narrate some of the story for you, but let's start out verses one, uh, verse one here. 1 Samuel 18 verse one, it says, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Now, I want to stop right there for a moment because I told you the very first night, if you Google the relationship between Jonathan and David, the LBGTQ community is forcing this and pushing this as if they had a homosexual relationship. I want to tell you what the devil does with what God has says is good is he perverts it. It's exactly what he does. And here's how I know they didn't have that type of relationship. Because if David and Jonathan had that type of relationship, there was an ongoing relationship, an ongoing sin. Now, listen, I realize he committed adultery with Bathsheba. I realize that. But David repented of that. We've gone to Psalm 51 and see that David came completely clean on that. He never mentions anything about this. How would God have said of a man that was practicing homosexuality when God had already called that evil and sin in the book of Exodus, how would he call that man a man after his own heart? I'm just gonna say he wouldn't because he could not, because that is the opposite of who God is. It is not how God designed it to be. God designed sex and marriage between one man and one woman, and that is it. That is it. There is no other definition of marriage. Somebody said to me a few months ago, a friend of mine is getting married, and uh, she is marrying another woman, and my wife and I are just trying to figure out if we should go or not. And that kind of morphed into a couple different conversations of, well, what happens if all of a sudden she gets saved? Does she divorce this woman and now is she supposed to, I mean, it just went in all kinds of ways. Do you see what happens when you go down the rabbit trail of sin? It just sucks you in further and further and further and further. It's like beginning to tell a little lie that turns into a bigger lie. And before you know it, all you're doing is lie after lie after lie because it sucks you in. I've said this before. Dr. Rogers says sin will take you further than you've ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it will make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. That's what sin does, and the devil is very crafty in the way in which he tempts you and I. Book of James talks all about temptation, and he's very crafty. He's very wise. He's very smart. He, he, listen, he can't know your heart. He can't know that, but he watches your patterns. He watches what you do. He watches what draws you, and then he comes into those areas, and he tempts you in those areas. It's like when you go fishing, you don't take a bass lure if you're catfishing, okay? Because the catfish don't care for that type of lure. There's a different style of fishing you're gonna do for a catfish. I'm not a big fisherman, but I can flat out put away some catfish, okay? Can I get an amen, all right? Any of you going to eat catfish, let me know. If I've got fresh squeezed lemon, I can put it away, okay? But I have caught a few in my life, and I know that I've got different lures for different types of fish because that is what is attractive to them. And the devil's smart, he's wise. He comes after you and tempts you with the things that are attractive to you. So what's attractive to you may not be attractive to you, may not be attractive to me, it may be different for each one of us, but he studies and he watches and he comes after us. I believe that this relationship right here was nothing more than a very deep-rooted friendship. The, it's okay to tell a man that you love them in a godly way. Today, one of my very close friends who was out of town this weekend, Jay Stevenson, who is our, our next-gen pastor here, 
If you don't know Jay Stevenson, you should get to know Jay Stevenson. Jay came in my office and he sat down and we just talked for about 45 minutes and he said, man, I, I've been praying for you. And he just asked a bunch of questions and we just talked a lot. I've never heard Jay say, say these words before, but when he got up, he said, I love you, man. I needed that this morning. I needed a brother just to come in, to talk to me, to ask some questions, to hear where I was. Jeff, you texted me today, he said, how you doing? You know, Chad, you texted me the same thing. Many of you in this room have texted me the same thing. And I, I've needed that. I need that friendship, that encouragement. And I believe that's exactly what we have here. It says, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. By the way, is this not biblical to love somebody else as you love yourself? I think Jesus talked something about that. We can talk about that some other time. If, if I may be off. A true friend is needed in each man's life. This is what we see here. David needed Jonathan period. Jonathan needed David. And here's why I believe Jonathan needed David, because it seems like Jonathan kept coming to David's rescue, and it was the Jonathan that was loving David, and it was Jonathan that was encouraging David, and it was Jonathan that was protecting David. And we see all those things, but I'll be honest with you, I think the Lord was doing something in Jonathan's life as he was ministering to David, because if not, who would he have been focused on? Saul, his daddy. And his daddy was not going down a good path. As a matter of fact, we read all throughout 18 and 19 where it says, and the Lord sent an evil spirit onto King Saul, and he made this decision, and he made that decision, and he was coming after David. I believe Jonathan and David both needed each other, and I would say this to you and I. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to admit that we need it, but we need close friendships. A few years ago, one of my other very, 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 very dear friends on our staff also went through a tragedy when Ken Hyman's son, Mac, dove into a pool and was had to, they had to pull him out because he's now paralyzed. And I was there for Ken as much as I could be, but I asked Ken one day, I said, Ken, who's ministering to you because it seems like all you're doing is ministering to everybody. And I'm not trying to put anybody on a pedestal, and I know you've already heard his name, but Ken said, that guy right there, Chad Hall. So Chad, it was no surprise to me to see you at the hospital this weekend. And Ken told me, he said, Derek, he said, you need men in your life like Chad Hall. You need men in your life like Tim Shelton. Tim, on multiple occasions, would walk into my office and say, Hi. he'd close the door. How you doing? He'd be smiling. I'd say, I'm okay. He said, what you working on? And I'd tell him. He said, what you praying about? And I'd tell him, and he said, can I give you a little bit of encouragement? And I knew that meant he wanted to correct me in something, and that's fine. And then he would say, have you ever thought about this? And, you know, I told my wife one day, I went home, I said, you know, baby, I'm pretty sure I got reprimanded today at work, but I feel a whole lot better about myself afterwards. That's amazing. Tim got on to me, and I felt better about myself when it was all said and done. Tim had a way of lighting a fire inside of me, and I would want to run through a brick wall for him. He had that gift. And I thought to myself, you know, we don't like to get close to other men because we may have to be transparent, or they may find out what our fears are or our struggles. But you know what? God has not called us to go through this thing called the Christian life by ourselves. And I believe there's a beautiful picture here of two men that loved each other. 
So I'm going to put this up there. You've got a few minutes to discuss it, but here's the question. Why is a true friend so needed in our lives? I'm not talking about the lives of our children. I'm not talking about the lives of our spouses. I'm not talking about the lives of any women. I'm talking about as men, why is a true friend so needed? I want you to share around the table for a few minutes, and then we'll bring it back in a couple. All right, guys, let's bring it back together. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Ecclesiastes 4.9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. I was reminded of these verses because David got into some trouble with Saul. I don't know if you've read much through it, but Saul didn't care for David too much. Saul tried to kill him multiple times, and Jonathan came to his rescue multiple times. Aren't you thankful he had a friend like Jonathan? I'll be honest with you, we need a friend like that. And I'm even going a step further because my job tonight is not to try to bring conviction upon you. Tim's life has brought enough conviction upon me. I just told Tony back there, I said, after I've heard from these three people that Tim was taking care of and putting stuff in his attic and depositing checks, I'm like, man, I'm terrible. I mean... I got to go find some people. I got to, you know, I mean, I, I got to stop on the side of the road at night, you know. And, 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 but aren't you thankful for a guy like that, that we can learn from? So my encouragement to us is not conviction, it's encouragement. We need guys like this, and we need to be guys like this. We need to be guys like this. Look at verses 1 through 3. Again, it says, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Look what it says next. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David just because he loved him as much as himself. It says he made a covenant with David. A, a, a friendship. It wasn't just a friendship. It was a covenant. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever studied much about covenants in the Old Testament, they were pretty serious. Now, my father is the one that married my wife and I. He did the premarital counseling. Can I just say something? Don't ever let your father do your premarital counseling. Right. That's as awkward as it can get right there, okay? And then my father tells my fiance at the time, who's now my wife, he says, listen, uh, the, the, the wedding is going to be beautiful, but the sermon is going to be directed at him. And I thought, well, I don't know what that means, but praise the Lord, I thought it was a good thing. He breaks down what an Old Testament covenant was, and if you don't know, when two men would make a covenant in the Old Testament, they would take an animal and they would cut its body in half, and they would lay half of it here and half of it there, and as they made the covenant, they would walk through the middle of that, and what they were saying is, if I break this covenant, the same thing that happened to this animal is to happen to me. That's how serious a covenant was. A hundred years ago, if you made an agreement with a gentleman, if Jeff and I made an agreement on a plot of land or something, we would make a handshake, and that was it. Maybe 150 years ago. That was it. And your handshake was everything. And you did not break that handshake because that was who you were. That was your integrity. This is serious. Nowadays, it, there's, no, there's almost no such thing as a covenant. I mean, I read something the other day of all these loopholes and all this stuff. Forget all that stuff. It says they made a covenant. It was serious. And I want to say this to you, that a friend that loves, a true friend, loves you unconditionally. Loves you unconditionally. Tim had a way about him of loving you for who you were. Now, if there was something about you that wasn't right, he didn't want you to stay there. He wanted you to move forward. He wanted you to get better, but he was going to do it in a way where he wasn't going to confront you and call it out. He was going to encourage you and come alongside you. 
And he would love unconditionally. I've watched it with his boys. I've watched it with men in his life. I've watched it in my own life. You see, when Drew Tucker came to me, my office used to be right there, and he came to me about three and a half years ago. He said, listen, I know you've been in recreation ministry for about 15 years. I would like to ask you to pray about going to adult ministry. I said, well, you know, Drew, that's a pretty big jump. I mean, I really enjoy hearing a basketball bounce outside my window. And he said, well, we'll record one on a, on a, on a speaker, and you can listen to it whenever you want. I need you over there. And I thought that Drew was asking me to go and help the adult ministry team. I think Drew really deceived me. I think Drew saw deficiencies in me that he knew this would help me with. And I'll be honest with you, I've asked the Lord many times, Lord, why do you have me in this position and why do you have me right here? And I believe with all my heart one of the reasons is is because there are specific things about ministry and how to love your family and how to love the Lord and how to be a good minister and husband and father that I have learned for the past three and a half years from Tim Shelton. I believe that. I've learned so much from him. And one of the things I've thought over the past weekend is Tim loved me for who I was. Now, there were areas in my life that need to be better, and he would come alongside and he would encourage me. But he loved me unconditionally. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. A friend loves at all times. Now it's interesting because if you go another verse further in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse four, it says, then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is fascinating. These were not items you would give away. These were items that had been given to you. They had a sense of... um, of dignity about them. They had been given to him most likely by his father. They would have had symbols on them that would have shown that he was a part of the royal court. They would have most likely had some type of family symbol somewhere on some of the pieces that were given to David. But nevertheless, Jonathan took what was rightfully his and he gave it to his friend. He had made a covenant with him. He loved him unconditionally and he gave him, and I would say this to you, a true friend gives to you of themselves. A true friend gives to you of themselves. I've watched that, and as I shared those three stories about how Tim was giving to other people all the time, I don't know how the man did everything he did. I mean, you think about how intentional he was in your life, and yet he did that for so many others. And I've thought about it so much of how much he gave of himself. I cannot tell you how many times I had a concern, a frustration, or even a concern about ministry that we were doing, I would go to his door, he would be deep in study, he would be typing at his computer, he would be in the Word, he would be doing something, and he would see me at the window, and he would motion for me to come in, and everything that he was working on would be pushed to the side. Everything. And he would get up from behind his desk, and he would walk around, he would sit in a chair, and he'd say, sit down. And it didn't matter if it took two minutes or an hour, he was gonna hear out where I was, and he was gonna help me walk through that. He didn't have to give me that time. He didn't owe me that time, but he gave of himself. And I believe a true friend is a friend that gives of themselves. Well, let's look at a couple more here. 1 Samuel 19, so if you go to the next chapter, a whole lot has transpired. Saul, at this point, really doesn't like David. David is a spur under his saddle, if you will. David is a threat to Saul. Saul has witnessed some things with David, and Saul has heard 
The Israelites say what? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Can I just make a, Saul was jealous is exactly what it was. He was jealous of David. He feared David, and he knew if I can just get David out of the way, then I can remain as king. He was worried. He was concerned. So it says at the beginning of 19, Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. Now think about that. This is Jonathan's best friend. This is, the, 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 this is Jonathan who had made a covenant with David as his best friend, whom he loved as himself, and his father has ordered him that he must kill David. But Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. So he told him, so he goes to David, my father Saul intends to kill you. Be on your guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and talk to him about you. When I see what he says, I'll tell you. What does he do? He goes into protective mode. That's exactly what he does. Because he cares very deeply for David. He cares for him. He cares about him. He cares what happens to him. Now, I think it's interesting because, listen, at this time, it wasn't that you rarely said no to the king. You never said no to the king. If the king said do it, you did it, period, end of story. If you didn't, you'd be put to death. I mean, it's just very simple. Jonathan's not even concerned about that. He's not worried about that. Even though he was his father, he's still the king. The king has ordered him to kill David. He's not even concerned about him. What he's saying is, let me talk to my father. You be close. Jonathan has gone into this protective mode. And I would say to you this, a true friend protects you when necessary. A true friend protects you when necessary. Jonathan went into this protective mode that he loved David and he wanted to care for him, wanted to protect him. You know, my children, I, I have specific things that, that I just don't allow them to do by themselves. My little girl turned eight two days ago. I don't allow Chloe to go play in the road by herself. I don't allow Chloe to cross the road and go get a basketball that rolls down our driveway and goes across the road unless myself or my older son are down there with. Why? She's not wise enough. She's not old enough to make a decision on distance how far a car is away from her. She can't understand the impact if a car were to hit her. So I'm not going to put her in a position to where she is going to get hurt. I go into protective mode. That's that daddy mode. That's what some of the authority and responsibility God has given me as a father. But as a friend, there are times we have to step up and say, hey, listen, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just, I'm a little concerned for you, and I, I just want to be here for you and help protect you. I, I had a buddy one time. We were, in, um, we were both working here in the recreation ministry, and we had gotten invited by some other friends to go to this party. Well, I listen, I grew up in a Christian home. I mean, I didn't hear the word B-U-T-T till I was like in college, okay? I mean, we just, it was just as Christian as it could be, okay? We didn't watch Walt Disney movies. We had boycotted them when I was a kid. I mean, we were just, I mean, we, we would be what you would have called very conservative, very conservative, okay? And so I just, that's how I think everybody lives their lives. And so we had some guys that we knew from playing sports here at Bellevue, and we had played basketball in this gym right here in the men's league. And these guys said, hey, we're having this get-together on Friday night, I think we ought to go to it. Y'all ought to come to it. And I thought, well, praise the Lord, let's go. And so I said to my buddy who's working up here, I said, hey, listen, uh, we got invited to this party. I, mean, I didn't ever get invited to parties. You don't invite the conservative guy to a party, but I'm not thinking that type of party, okay? I'm just thinking we're having birthday cake and we're gonna blow the little kazoos, okay? I don't know what he's talking about, party, all right? My buddy looked me in the eyes and he said, you 
are not going to that party. And I said, what, what are you talking about? I got invited. I don't get invited very often. I'm going. And he said, look at me. He said, I've been to one of those parties, and that is the last place on earth you need to be. And he said, I love you too much to let you go. And I'll tell you this, a guy at that party that Friday night overdosed on a drug and died right there at the party. And I look back at that friend and I say, listen, I didn't like the decision at the time, but I'm thankful he had the wherewithal and the love for me to protect me. That's what a true friend does. He protects us. The last thing I want to give you is this. A true friend encourages you and encourages you often. You hear our pastor say often, encouragement is to place courage inside someone else. In courage. Discouragement is to take it out. To take courage out of somebody. To encourage is to place courage inside somebody else. I don't know about you, but I need to be encouraged. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a man at Bellevue Baptist Church or anywhere in the rest of Memphis that I know of that was a better encourager than Tim Shelton. When you walked away from Tim, you had a smile on your face typically because he loved you. He spoke truth into your life. Sometimes he may have challenged you. Sometimes he may have checked on you. I, I cannot tell you how many hundreds of calls and text messages I've answered over the last three days, and a guy called me yesterday. I didn't know him. And he said, you know, last Wednesday night, so a week ago tonight, he said, my wife and I were walking out of the West Lobby, and he said, uh, my wife says, bye, Tim. He was right up in front of me. He said, Tim turned around. He said, hey. He said, how's your, and she had been having, I, th I think it was like a back problem. He said, how's, how's your back doing? I've been praying for you. And she said, you know, it's, it's been hurting me some. And she said, he, he told me, he said, Tim, walk back into the West Lobby and put his hand on both of them, and he just prayed over them. That's encouragement. That's what a true friend is. That's what Jonathan was to David. He could have gone to David and said, listen, my dad's gonna kill you, and not only is my dad gonna kill you, but he's, he's given me the task of killing you, so you better get out of here. But what does he do? He says, listen, my father doesn't understand, and I wanna help you, and I wanna be here with you, and he spoke encouragement into David. So I want you to discuss this question around the table, and then we'll come back and wrap it up. Why is encouragement so important in our lives? And you say, that seems like a simple question. We've kind of just talked about it. But I want you to actually answer the question, why do you need encouragement in 2023 in the place that God has placed you? Why do you need encouragement? Share it around the table, and then we'll come back and finish up. All right, guys, let's, let's just take a couple minutes and wrap up our time together. Um, I want to just ask you this, and I want you to write it down on your paper or whatever you're, you're using right there. I want to ask you this question. Who is your Jonathan? Who is, who is the Jonathan in your life? Who is the one that is your encourager? Who is that person who's your close friend? Now listen, I, I understand we may have some friends that we are super close to that don't know the Lord. I get that. But I'm talking about a believer that can speak truth into your life. Who, who is that guy? I want you to write his name down on that paper. Now I want you to write this down. Who are you, Jonathan, to? So maybe it's that same guy. But who is it that you're encouraging? Who is it that needs you to help protect them? 
Because what I find most of the time, I sit across the table at lunch with men, and I ask them a couple questions. And one of the questions I ask is, who are your closest friends? They typically give me names of people they play golf with or they go bowling with or they've known since they were in high school. And I ask them some clarifying questions about, do they know the Lord? Do y'all talk about spiritual things? Do they encourage you? And they're like, well, no, these are more just kind of buddies I hang out with. And that's great. We need that. We need we need to be around friends. But I'm saying, who who are you talking to about spiritual things? Who are you helping hold accountable? Who are you encouraging? This is what I want to say to you. If you couldn't write a name down for one of those, I'm not shaming you. I'm encouraging you to find who that person's going to be. I'm encouraging you <clears throat> that I know your personality is not like Tim Shelton's. And so you're not going to be able to do that for 400 people or 1,000 people or however many he was. I'm encouraging you to find that one or two people that God has placed in front of you and who you can be that in their lives. And then here's my other challenge to you. And, and, and I really want to encourage you to do this. Over the past couple of days, I've gotten a couple of handwritten notes. And that's almost a lost art these days. No, hardly anybody writes handwritten notes anymore. I want to encourage you, whoever it, that Jonathan is in your life, I want you to write him a thank you letter, a card. It can be short, short and sweet. I just want you to write them and say something like this. Hey, brother, we talked about Jonathan and David this week, and I just want to thank you for being a Jonathan in my life. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for challenging me. Thank you for protecting me when I need to be protected. I just want you to know you mean a lot to me, and I love you. That's it. Simple. Five, six sentences. You're done. Boom. Drop it in the mail. Send it to him. You will have no idea the impact it will have in their lives. The second thing is if you have somebody that you're a Jonathan to, I just want you to write them encouragement notes. So you got two notes you're supposed to write this week. Just write them and say, hey, I've been praying for you in, in this area or that area. You're doing a great job. Men need to hear certain things. I read in a book that every boy needs to hear three things every day of their lives growing up. They need to hear I love you. They need to hear I'm proud of you. They need to hear you're good at. Doesn't matter what they're good at, just tell them. They need to hear that. They need to hear it from their fathers and their mothers because the world's not going to tell them those things. And that's what our Father does for us. But oftentimes we're too busy. We don't hear those things. And sometimes we just need an encourager to encourage. So I want to encourage you to write two notes. One, to that person that's speaking into your life. And two, the person that you're speaking into, your life, into their lives. And if you don't have that person, I just want you to begin to pray that God would bring those people into your lives. I told y'all and shared with y'all a few weeks ago that a couple years ago, I went through a really difficult time of, um, I, I don't know how else to say it, but it was depression. It was um, from some medication that I was taking for my back, and um, it was really, a, it is the darkest period of my life I've ever gone through, ever. And our family went to dinner with another family after Sunday night church. I did not want to go there. I did not want to be around them. I can be honest with y'all, I did not want to be around my wife and children at the time. And I sat on the end of that table, and as they were ordering, I didn't even go up to order my food. I just sat there. My phone rang from a guy named David. I won't give you his last name, but David's a guy I've known for probably 15 years. I hadn't spoken to in four years. Four. I just pressed ignore, and he left me a voicemail. I thought, well, something must be wrong. I've not talked to him in four years. He left me a voicemail. So I pick up the phone, 
to listen to the voicemail. I go in the bathroom at Slim Chickens. And I pull up this voicemail, and this voice on the other end of the line is choking up. He's crying. I thought somebody had died. And he said, hey, Derek. He said, I'm in a discipleship group right now. And the guys challenged us to call or write a letter to the person that has impacted their life the most. He said, I just want you to know I love you. He said, I want you to know you've been one of the best friends I've ever had. I said, I want you to know I love Jesus more now because of the time you've spent with me. I'm going to tell you something. I've listened to that voicemail hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. And my family and I got to go on vacation with them this summer. They invited us to a lake, the lake down in Arkansas, and we went and spit down there. And I got to sit across the table from them and say, David, you have no idea the impact you've made on my life. And I'm going to tell you something right now. We need that kind of love in our lives. And if you don't think you do, then the devil has deceived you. I want to encourage you, as we mourn the loss of Tim Shelton, to go out and be Tim Shelton to those around you. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. And Lord, I don't understand why I won't get out of my truck in the mornings and see Tim's face. I don't understand why he's not with us anymore, but Lord, we do choose today to trust you. And Lord, we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose. We lift that family up to you. And Lord, I know there will be hundreds, if not thousands of people that will come to that funeral, and many of them will not know you as their Lord and Savior. So I pray for our pastor as he preaches the word and shares the gospel, Lord, that you would save people. Lord, I thank you for the impact of his life and my life, and I thank you that I'll never be the same because of knowing Tim as my friend. Lord, I pray for these men as they go out. I pray you'll bless them. I pray you'll encourage them. I pray you'll make your face shine upon them. And Lord, I pray they will encourage somebody this week, and they will find somebody, if they don't have that person in their life, that they can go deep into the relationship with and that they can help encourage and love just like Tim loved us. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.